You ever watch this guy on television? You all were not telling the truth, and you should not be trusted. Congressman Matt Gates, thank you for what you yeah. did for your country tonight. Be offended with the Democratic whip, not House Republicans. Like a machine, Matt Gates. Welcome to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. Let's talk about the news. We're going to be talking about all the news that President Trump made during his convention nomination acceptance speech at the White House last evening and play some highlights. But the news that is dominating Washington, D.C. Uh, is the concern uh, over some of the folks who attended the president's event, who then saw a lot of violence, a lot of, uh, I would say, hostility, assault following their departure. Senator Rand Paul left on foot. Congressman Brian Mast left on foot. They were both accosted by protesters. Here's Rand Paul discussing the experience on Fox and Friends this morning. Yeah, you know, my wife and I, it was horrific. You know, we had two uh, women with us who were friends of ours. We had looked out, you know, we came out of the speech. At and the White we House. Looked in, we looked into the street. Our hotel was only right across the street from the White House. But we couldn't go because the mob was already chasing people down that chose to go out that exit. So the Secret Service says, get on a bus and ride to the Trump Hotel. So we got on a bus. It took 45 minutes to get through all the mobs. We get there safely. And then we say, we'll get an Uber to go all the way back where we came from. And we wanted to be dropped off at the hotel. But as we got close to it, the streets were blocked and no one would let us through. And what happened is there was two blocks, and I regret that I made this decision, but I said we're going to walk the two blocks. We walked one block, but as we walked one block, we could see some police in the distance, but we also saw a mob of about 30 people marching and yelling. They all of a sudden saw me right as we got to the policeman, fortunately, or I don't think we'd have survived. We got to the policeman, and I, the policeman, I don't think, recognized me. And as they came closer, they were shouting my name, and the crowd doubled to 60. Mm -hmm. And then it doubled again to 120. And as they were surrounding us, and it got closer and closer, and everybody kept pushing back, the policemen were forming a, a barricade with their bodies. I whispered to the policeman, they know who I am. You've got to get reinforcements. It's going to get worse. He called for reinforcements, but we didn't get any reinforcements. We waited, but the crowd was getting bigger and bigger and pushing in. Uh, there were yelling threats. They were trying to push the police over to get to me. They were grabbing at us. And it got worse and worse and worse. And then finally, we decided to make a move. I said, we've, we've got to move. If there's not going to be reinforcements, we have to try to get to the hotel, which was another block. And they were shouting threats, you know, to us, to, to kill us, to hurt us. But they're also saying, shout, shouting, say her name, Breonna Taylor. And it's like, you couldn't reason with this mob, but I'm actually the author of the Breonna Taylor law to end no-knock raids. So the irony is lost on these idiots that they're trying to kill the person who's actually trying to get rid of no-knock raids. And they were shouting and screaming and just, it really, these people were unhinged. But I can't tell you how, I'm not sure we would have made it. So as we're walking, sort of surrounded by the police, they're attempting to push the police over to get to me. So at one point, they push a policeman backwards. He stumbles, and he's trying to catch his balance. And I catch the back of his flak jacket to stabilize him and, you know, make sure that he's okay because he's our defense. I mean, if, yeah. if he's down, the mob's loose on us. 
and you've seen the pictures of what they do to you. If the police are not there, if you defund the police, if we become Portland, if America becomes Portland, what's going to happen yeah. is people are going to be pummeled and kicked in the head and, and left senseless on the curb. That would have happened to us. I promise you, had we not had the D.C. police to support us, I mean, we are thankful that we have police right. and we've got to wake up. We can't have the whole country. We can't have Joe Biden rule the country and have no police. I mean, it, we can't yeah. walk down the street in D.C. safely now. I, That's how bad it is. I did not leave on foot. I had uh, buses awaiting. I think most of the folks who attended left on buses, but uh, some of the folks were staying very close to the White House, and so it just simply made more sense for them to depart on foot. And we did not have the expectation that people would be met uh, with this type of I would say violence. I mean, when someone is engaging in an assault, it's a violent act. It's no longer a peaceful protest. I do agree that something that's fundamentally American is the right to stand up and yell at your elected officials. That's why we have town hall meetings. That's why we avail ourselves to criticism in person, online, and otherwise. In a free society, we ought to be able to criticize our leaders and our elected officials. But that does not extend to assault on the street. That does not extend to trying to terrorize someone when they're walking back to their place of abode with their spouse. This was not a debate. This was not a discussion. Uh, this was an attempt to instill fear in Rand Paul and his wife, Kelly, and in turn, instill that very fear in the rest of us. And that's really the problem with this movement on the radical left. Uh, there is no grace in it. It is not a welcoming endeavor. It exists to demonize, terrorize, and fundamentally change America for the worse. Good thing the president has a competing vision for our country that is positive and optimistic. Listen to some of the more uplifting portions of the president's speech last night. As long as I am president, we will defend the absolute right of every American citizen to live in security, dignity, and peace. This November, we must turn the page forever on this failed political class. The fact is, I'm here. What's the name of that building? But I'll say it differently. The fact is, we're here and they're not. To me, one of the most beautiful buildings anywhere in the world, and it's not a building, it's a home as far as I'm concerned. Not even a house, it's a home. It's a wonderful place with an incredible history. But it's all because of you. Together, we will write the next chapter of the great American story. If the Democrat Party wants to stand with anarchists, agitators, rioters, looters, and flag burners, that is up to them. But I, as your president, will not be a part of it. The Republican Party will remain the voice of the patriotic heroes who keep America safe and salute the American flag. Japan's Prime Minister Shinzo Abe is resigning as a consequence of health concerns. Prime Minister Abe is known in Japan for democratizing a number of economic reforms dubbed Abeonomics. Hope I didn't butcher that. He also loosened a number of restrictions on the Japanese military that were in place since World War II. That's really important because under the Trump presidency, we take the foreign policy view that 
We are stronger when our allies are stronger and more capable and more engaged around the world. I think the neoconservatives take the view that only America can lead, that it has to be the extension of American treasure and blood and influence everywhere that has to dominate geopolitical activity. President Trump believes that our allies can and should do more. He's had our NATO allies make substantially larger contributions, uh, making up a greater share of their GDP to NATO. And with Japan, we really have an ally in intelligence, in the preservation of navigation, and they have been a good geopolitical bridge builder for the United States throughout Asia, particularly as a counterpoint to China. And while Abe tried for many years to improve Japan's relationship with China, it remains a tense and competitive relationship, I think in large part because Japan gets the joke that the reason that they're having these challenges with North Korea is because China permits it. And I think Abe saw that clearly. He also saw clearly the value in the relationship with President Trump. I could tell you from President Trump's perspective, the relationship was very strong, very solid. We had a historic trade deal with Japan executed during the Trump presidency that I think leveraged their personal friendship and personal diplomacy with one another. And with Japan, more, I think, uh, able to rally other elements of Asia to resist Chinese domination, we could see the United States have higher focus on some of the strategic objectives that China is trying to accomplish faster than we are, whether that be 5G or AI, uh, or really just the, the hard wiring of telecommunication systems in Europe and throughout the, or throughout the world. The stronger uh, Japan is, I think the more uh, that inures to the benefit of the United States. And so we wish Prime Minister Abe well. We thank him uh, during his leadership of Japan for the tremendous partnership that we've had with uh, our two countries. And we hope he gets better and is able to enjoy the next chapter of his life. We also hope that these reforms that Japan has endeavored upon quite successfully during Abe's era will continue following his leadership tenure. Ivanka Trump told a lovely story of the president's grandson, her son Joseph, and a Lego structure that he had built of the White House. Take a listen. When Jared and I moved with our three young children to Washington, we didn't exactly know what we were in for. But our kids, our kids loved it from the start. My son, Joseph, promptly built Grandpa a Lego replica of the White House. The president still displays it on the mantle in the Oval Office right over there so that he can show world leaders just so they know he has the greatest grandchildren on Earth. I agree. <laughs> and so it didn't take long for the left-wing media to even make issue with three-year-old Joseph's construction of a Lego White House. That's right, Andrea Bernstein, one of these typical mainstream New York media types tweets, Ivanka Trump has tweeted a photo of her son Joseph with his grandfather at the Resolute desk with the Lego White House. I've asked the White House if three-year-old Joseph indeed built this on his own initiative and if he had assistance, will treat reply if when I get it. And of course, Donald Trump Jr. had some fun with this, tweeting in reply, in case you're wondering, how absolutely insane the left-wing media has become. Look no further than this tweet. Are you kidding me? Now they're going after three-year-olds. So I guess the mainstream media is so eager to fact-check that now they are in the business of fact-checking whether a three-year-old built a Lego 
version of the White House. Who knows? Maybe they'll send in some of their regulators to do like a code inspection to see if the Lego White House has, you know, the right amount of tie downs and the right structural integrity. I'll tweet the reply if I get it. America struggles with our weight. The CDC says that about 40% of Americans are technically obese. And while I'm sure folks can take issue with the mechanism by which that determination is made, there's no question that during the time of coronavirus, we need to be doing a lot more to get healthy. Uh, CNN's Shelby Lynn Erdman has a story just up. Obesity increases risk of complications from COVID-19, damages vaccine efficiency, study finds. And I mean, just listen to this lead. Obesity increases the risk of contracting the coronavirus, of landing in the hospital and intensive care, and the risk of death from COVID-19, according to a new study from UNC Chapel Hill. So again, we've heard a lot about how obesity is a comorbidity that increases the acuity and risk of coronavirus, but it even can increase the risk of contracting the coronavirus uh, to the tune of a 46% greater risk of catching COVID than non-obese people and a 113% increased risk of hospitalization. This has an interesting intersection with like gym policy, right? I mean, one of the reasons why a few of us, you know, may have packed on the COVID-15 is that our gym, our normal yoga group, workout group, workout routine uh, has been interrupted like a lot of other aspects of our life. But it's important to remember that resiliency begins with the individual. Don't first be looking for the government to make you more resilient against this virus. You have a way to make yourself more resilient by getting into better shape, losing a few of those extra pounds, and ensuring that you've got a lower probability to contract the disease. And then if you do the contract the disease, you've got the best possibility to survive it. So I guess like Michelle Obama would say, let's get up and move. Thanks so much for listening to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. Hope you enjoy the show. Hope you leave a five-star rating. Put in a review. Let us know what you'd like to hear. And join us next week for more hot takes.